0: Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Brett Lindley and Walker Neer. I'm Brett, and today we're here to talk about our recent trip to St. Louis to attend Shenanicon, hosted by the game developers over at Butterscotch Shenanigans. Hey, Walker, why does Shenanicon matter to you?
1: Uh, I would say that... um... It was a really good trip. It was a really good experience, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to a conference for a um, like a video game studio like that. Um, I think the only other conference I've really been to that's for something cool is when I went to the podcasting conference last year. But anyway, so <laughs> not a lot of conference experience. I've never been to GDC or E3 or something like that. Same. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. And honestly, with Shenanicon, you know, Butterscotch Shenanigans is a an indie developer. Um, they've actually got several titles, but their two most popular would be Crashlands and then their most recent level head. Yep. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a small indie studio. It's three brothers that, that run it and make the games. Um, and then it's, it's a, a small crowd at the conference. So it wasn't, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. It was probably a few dozen, um, which was really cool because it gave us kind of, you know, dare I say unprecedented access to, <laughs> to the developers. Uh, but it just, it created a really comfortable and kind of calm atmosphere and, um, just had the opportunity to, to, to not just like talk to the developers and say hi or something, but also to like, you know, during the conference and then after have some really interesting conversations with them. And it was actually conversations, not just, hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. And then, you know, next person kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really, really great trip. I'm really glad that you uh, invited me, and and we went.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, you covered most of the the baseline details of it. I I really enjoy it. This is my second year going. Um, I went last year uh, with my wife. I've been a pretty big fan of Butterscotch Shenanigans, including some of their mobile titles um, back to like 2015, early 2016, and uh, I had actually gone like three years ago um, I kind of like sent them an email just kind of off the side. They didn't, I don't think they even had a discord server at that point. No, they didn't. I, I did it through email. Uh, Cause we were going up to St. Louis for a different event. And I was like, well, I, I listen to their podcast coffee with butterscotch pretty frequently. And I love it. Um, they also have, in my opinion, one of the most powerful GDC talks, which is the last game I make before I die. Um, I highly recommend you checking that out it's a super powerful talk um mostly the, the three brothers are just really down to earth guys so i had originally sent them an email and said hey we're going to be in st louis i'd love to come and like meet you guys or like see the studio or whatever i mean their studio was like in a, in the basement it of a of years house. ago yeah this was like three years ago three or four years ago and uh and they agreed, and they said, cool. And, and so I got to go meet them, but they didn't have, like, a really formal studio location at the time. So we just met up in a, in a St. Louis Co., which everywhere else is called Panera. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but well, we I got to meet up and hang out with them for, like, 30, 40 minutes and just kind of chit-chat and hang with them and stuff. That was really fun. Um, but as they you know were getting bigger um, and they got, like, a Discord and stuff, they said that they'd had several of these types of requests. And so last year they formally announced their first convention which was the First Shenanicon. Um it was probably about the same amount of people they do a, a dev talk, a live podcast and then they were showing off uh Levelhead before it was even in alpha. So they were showing off development prototypes of Levelhead which was really cool to see and like and including like all their dev talk had the really alpha E stuff. That's just like squares and circles and gameplay that, which was really cool to see. But you know, them opening up that and saying, Hey, we, we can't entertain every person that wants to come down, you know, just whenever. So let's hold a convention. And, uh, so my wife and I went last year and this year she, she had some, you know, some things going on and I still kind of don't do great in, in social things solo. Um, So I was like, hey, this would be a really fun opportunity. I think, you know, you've played some of their games. We've talked about them before. And, uh, you know, if you would like to come and have that chance to chat with the developers and just see a game studio kind of on the inside and and maybe meet some of the other, you know, community players and stuff like this is this is our opportunity to do that if you'd like to go. And so, you know, we worked out (laughs) travel arrangements and and made our way up there. And I, I had an absolute blast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, it was, so the the way the conference was laid out, it was only a few hours in the afternoon. Um, but there was like a meet and greet session. when We got there and then there was, um, the pretty quickly they went into the dev talk and then following that they recorded a live podcast while we were there. Um, and took uh, pretty much the entire content of the podcast was them just taking questions from people there at the conference. Um, and yeah, they just, really, really thoughtful and interesting guys. Um, you've been telling me that for a long time, but I have not ever listened to their podcast <laughs> prior to them. But then I will say after attending the live show and, uh, and coming home, I, I did actually listen to their most recent episode of their podcast, the one before the live one that we participated in, I guess, or sat in on. Right. I didn't actually talk or anything. You did. <laughs> I you asked teacher, Yeah. yeah. I, I got a question in there. I wrote a question like at the event, but, uh, they did not ever follow up with me about that. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, Although, said, question. they said the e- like email was going to, there was, they started asking like a week and a half, two weeks before. And I even got mine in like day before. Yeah. And, and barely kind of got in there at the last second. So
1: I, I have the worst handwriting and I had to write it out on a piece of paper. We uh, so just couldn't even read what <laughs> I said. And if they could, they probably couldn't read because Walker near is kind of a strange name. You know, if my name was like, Tom Smith. Even if I wrote it poorly, you can kind of piece. To, oh, that says Tom Smith. But Walker, near like what that? You know what is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that a name, or is that still part of the question? So you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool. They were uh, like I said, they were really interesting guys. And so I think you know you brought up the the um, the GDC talk that I think Sam is the brother that did it.
0: Yes. Yeah, and that, he's the artist. So the the their studio is now up to like five. Uh, five or six technically. Um, But like the three main ones are the three brothers. Sam's the youngest. He does the art. Um, Seth is in the middle. He's the lead programmer. And then Adam is the oldest, I believe. And he's their kind of web tech and tools guy. So he develops a lot of the pipeline tools that allow them to get productivity and stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, you brought up that GDC talking without rehashing the whole thing. I think it warrants explaining kind of what was go like, why is his GDC talk called the last game I make before I die? Cause it wasn't just because he was, because we all die eventually. Right. right no. <laughs> so
0: he was, he, he had fought his way through a pretty serious case. Uh, I, I believe it got to like stage four lymphoma. Mm. Uh, um, he ended up getting like a full bone marrow transfusion. Like all of his blood was replaced with actually, I believe it was like rabbit's blood. Um, which has a really aggressive like like T blood cells and white blood cells. And they basically use that to destroy all of his cur- – like they had to kill off all of his blood and all of his white blood cells so that he wouldn't reject the, the bone marrow transplant. And that was kind of like the second or third time that he had been treated. Like it, So it's a talk about – and at the time when he was first diagnosed, they were just a mobile game studio and And they had only released a couple of small mobile games and were kind of developing another you know kind of very simple like an endless runner kind of game or something and when he's diagnosed and he and he has all these issues, he kind of stopped and and had that that moment where it's just i I don't want this endless runner to be the game that i you know that that i can get put into my grave with this being my crowning achievement he's like i i, I want to do something amazing and so they all came together and and Crashlands was the game that got them through cancer treatments.
1: So to to talk about Crashlands, I the way I think actually my question was even basically this, but but the I think the easiest summary of Crashlands is it kind of it kind of looks now looks isn't fair cuz it aesthetically doesn't look like Don't Starve, but it's the same kind of camera angle as Don't Starve, which is kind of like an isometric view. Right. Um and it controls in a similar way, but it, it doesn't have any of the punishing mechanics that don't starve. has. Right, I, I was, you, you
0: respawn and
1: yeah, I describe it as if don't starve was fun, right? Uh, you respawn, I... you have an infinite inventory, <laughs> right? Which I think don't starve is fun actually, but uh, Crashlands is just a lot more. Uh, there's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't kick you in the face. Like right. don't starve does. Um, yeah, it has the infinite inventory and it's got a a pretty big, a pretty cool loop of like going out and exploring and finding different ingredients to craft new items with. And then once you get that, then you get sent out to another area, a new biome or whatever. And it kind of just goes through that. Um,
0: But yeah, it's got some pretty hilarious writing too, but it's actually writing like you have to read to understand. There are pieces of quests and puzzles that that aren't just, it's not like they just put a diamond on the map and say, go here and do kill five things. Mm-hmm. There's actually a chunk of storyline that talks about like, oh, these monsters are terrorizing us. It'd be nice if you could get rid of a bunch of them for us. And then that's it. You don't know. You just have to go do whatever you think that is until you achieve. And some of them give you like a zone or an area to go in and do something. But there's a lot of stuff that is just, you have a log of, of dialogue that you can run through and, and read through and you have to kind of use your brain just a little bit, not a lot, a little bit.
1: Yeah. And it's got, it's got a really cool um, like pet system where you can like have an NPC creature pet that kind of follows you around and fights for you. I don't know how many different ones there are. I don't, I didn't actually beat the game. Surprise, surprise. Almost
0: every monster you can get a pet version of.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That, that was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, But it's certainly, certainly a good game and, it's available on the cheap. I don't even know what its full retail price is, but I've seen it, I think, as low as five. So, I mean, it's yeah, certainly not. It. And it's also that.
0: cross-platform with mobile um, and cloud-saved, so you can get it on mobile and play on PC or tablet or whatever and play the same same save files. So, it's a, nice. it's a solid game. But the the GDC talk on it is just really a lot of GDC talks are kind of bland. I've, I've watched it ton of GDC talks I've gone on several stints where I thought I was eventually going to be a game developer so I kind of hyped myself up with GDC food Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are kind of boring some of them have funny moments or whatever but that specific one is just so powerful and strong and it it really made me like I want to shake this guy's hand you know Mm -hmm. and that was my initial driving force for like wanting to meet the, and they're close. I, I cause I'm not going to go to an actual GDC. I don't have that kind of money. Don't like to travel that far and definitely don't can't yet quite deal with hundreds of thousands of people. Um, you know, but we're, we're working on that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, but this is a, it was a nice conference. It's about, I think it caps out about 50 people or so. Um, I don't think it quite hit that, you know, either year, but it, it, there's also some come and go. Some people don't stay for the whole thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the, the initial conference piece, the actual, you know, in the studio with the devs is fun. They do some raffles. They had, uh, this year I thought was really nice. They had kind of icebreaker, like bingo cards that had some things like just meet the devs and get them to sign your card, meet other, you know, conference attendees, have conversations with them, play the games, like do the things kind of to get a a podcast
1: question. Right. submit a podcast
0: question. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. And I think that that was really fun. Um, I picked up some merch. But I definitely think, which, you know, not that it's a guarantee that it's going to always be like that. But one thing that they did, they did this last year and I didn't get to attend. Um, and, and this year we did, which was the dinner afterwards. And I think that's where everything really starts to shine. Because we still had a candid few minutes with the devs on on the you know, in the convention hall, we probably spent two or two to five minutes with each of the devs kind of chit chatting with them. If not more, I mean, we, we sat and talked to Seth about borderlands for mm-hmm. a good chunk of time, just, and, and so we're not talking about the studio or their games or just, right. game or, we're talking about borderlands. like, cause he hadn't played it yet. And Adam had, so he kind of heard of that, but he was like, what's your take on it? So we talked about it and, and, and the, you know, this podcast kind of chatted about that and how just life stuff, like, and at the dinner um, afterwards was, I want to say like almost five hours
1: of. Uh, I think it was four. But four. Yeah.
0: Oh no, because that's right. They they did the uh, they also did a, a relay tournament. I mm-hmm. forgot about that. that. Was the last hour it was a was a relay tournament between all the players in Levelhead, um, which is their uh, platformer maker style game, kind of a la Mario Maker, but way more in depth and uh, and on PC. But, um, but they did a relay race where we broke into teams and every time you died, you had to pass the controller and you're competing against other teams to try to do stuff. So I forgot about that. That part was a good you know hour or so near the end. But yeah, that, that made the dinner about four hours after that, we walked went two or three blocks up the street.
1: Yeah. We went to a restaurant bar uh, called the chocolate pig oh, yeah. and, um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really cool. They, there was probably, I don't know, roughly 20 of us that were there. Yeah. And so we actually broke off into two different, you know, long tables. I think they pushed some tables together, but there was kind of two different groups of people at the dinner. And, uh, and yeah, it wasn't a formal thing at all. You know, when we say went to the dinner, it's not like there was a, a presenter or something. It was literally just two groups of 10 people sitting at a table and ordering off a menu and just kind of shooting the breeze and, and talking. And, um, yeah, everyone was, like, all of the other attendees were all really cool. Everyone was really pleasant. No one was, you know, I don't know. No one was, like, going out of their way to try and impress the developers or something, which I was kind right. of nervous about because that can get annoying really fast. Um, and no one was, I don't know, no one was ever rude or just unpleasant at all. In fact, some of the people were overtly pleasant, which was, <laughs> which was nice, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I would for prefer sure.
1: someone go out of their way to be nice than go out of their way to be a jerk, so... Uh, I liked it, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, not to sound, you know, too much on these guys, uh, (laughs) whatever, but they're just, they're, they're three earnest guys who don't come off as pretentious at all. They don't come off as, as arrogant. They don't come off as, they're just, they're just three guys that are running a company and trying to make games and, and, and have successfully done so for close to a decade, if not more now. Um, and yeah, they're just, they're just really, really cool, really cool people to talk to. Um, You know, not, not, and not just because they're game developers, but that, that part of it was interesting because they, they had some unique perspectives and insights that I don't think, you know, I personally have just never really gotten because I don't know any other indie devs. I mean, I know people who've tried to make games or who've technically made games, but I mean, Crashlands is a, you know, I don't know how many copies it sold, but I would guess in the tens of thousands, if not the hundreds of thousands, I mean, it sold quite a bit. Yeah, It's
0: pretty successful.
1: Yeah. So it's, you know, they, they've they actually seen success and and have actually gone out there and done it and are still doing it now. Um, and yeah. It was just really, it was really interesting to hear their perspective on different things. Like one thing that really struck me that they talked about was, and I think maybe this was even during the podcast based on one of the questions that was asked, but So, you know, Crashlands, like we said, is kind of this third-person exploration, open world-type game. Um, And then Levelhead, like Brett was describing, is a 2D platformer, you know, like Rayman, Mario, Sonic, that kind of thing. And so it's got a whole campaign that you can play through, but then it also has a level editor where you can build and design levels and then share those with the community. So, like, for example, the relay race that Brett was talking about, they... um, all of those were were levels from the community. I mean, a couple of them were user created by the guy, the you know, one of the brothers or something. But they weren't campaign levels, as my friend. Right. Like it was all new content that wasn't part of the campaign, which is cool. Um, but but so anyway, they were talking about how because someone asked them if it was difficult to 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 basically like break the brand. Um, because Levelhead isn't called Crashlands. And even right. though it's actually a part of the same universe and actually ties into the story of Crashlands, it, it's not, you know, from seeing the box art, or if you were to look at it on Steam, it, it's not immediately evident. And beyond that, though, they, they, they then kind of talked about how they found the challenge of trying to just make a different genre of game and how challenging that has been. I think not only from their perspective of just, you know, designing something totally different, but also their audience's desire to to try to trust them on something brand new. Right. You know, everyone wants Crashlands too. It's like in the Borderlands that we've talked about, you know, people complain, oh, it's just more Borderlands. And it's like, yeah, but that's that's what everyone wants. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Um, and honestly, if you look at Gearbox, uh, not to go off on a complete tangent, but, you know, you look at Gearbox – and, and Borderlands is far and away their most successful franchise, and just about every other franchise that they try
0: does not succeed, right? Because you know? it's not that. Um, well, and then even, you get into some things, right? I think, like, Nintendo's about the only people that can get away with, like, Mario Golf. is like, it's not a Mario game! Like, mm-hmm. th- it's, if Borderlands came out with an XCOM-style game, that, like, I- even if it's in the same world and has the same characters, people would still just be like, Eh, I don't know. Some people would adopt it, but a lot of people would backlash, and it probably wouldn't sell as well. Like,
1: Yeah, I, well, and I think, you know, Nintendo's obviously a monolithic slash right. developer, so if if Butterscotch was maybe had a bigger audience or a bigger reach, then maybe that would be, you know, they could do that more easily as well. Because the truth with, like, Mario Golf or Mario Tennis or those games is that they're actually fun games still. You know oh, what I mean? Sure. They're actually well-designed, and that's very true of level head, like level head <clears throat> is a wonderful game. Like it's as a platformer, it's really fun. It's really tight. It feels good. It, you know, it's, it's not as hard as like a super meat boy,
0: but it's certainly more punishing than like Rayman or Mario. Right. It's close to a, it depends. The, the main campaign's not, but definitely in the user generated, there's a lot more of closer to kind of the Kaizo community. And just from as as from a maker's perspective and a player, there's so much more in the like switch logic that mm-hmm. you can make more puzzle levels. Do, there are some incredible contraptions and puzzles and programs that people have made inside a single level mm-hmm. that do everything from reprogram Tetris or uh, a, you know there's one that did a space invaders style game inside of a level you play space invaders in level head and using the character and the controls and stuff which was really cool um and that type of stuff has only gone further in the amount of things that you can do with the switch logic they've really the community kept asking for it i got to participate in the alpha and the beta um and that was one of the things that everybody was like this is what's going to make the game so different and and we kept on asking, like, more switch IDs, more logic, more blocks for this. Like, how can we get, instead of just a, a switch, can we get a, a NOR gate and, and not have to build one? And can we get logic reduced to single blocks? And so they started providing a lot of that stuff and, and relays and items that allow you to code, which means that you can get these intensely complex levels. Some of that also means that you can get intensely difficult levels because you can build, uh, you know, password combination locks, And if Mm -hmm. you don't give the user the answer, then, you know, but they have some stuff in there, too, that I think is really interesting for like, like level discoverability. They have a lot of like the marketing department, which allows you to play other people's levels and and get what they call exposure bucks or money. And then you can spend that on the levels that you publish to push them up in the marketing department. And that means that people will see them. But Mm -hmm. to do that, you have to play other people's levels, which means that they get exposure right and so like it incentivizes you to go play other people's stuff if you want your stuff to be played and then if you push yourself all the way to the top everybody's going to play your level because it's just the top of the list but after a certain number of plays and it generates a score but like how difficult your level is what types of stuff is in it and then it graduates and it moves to what they call the tower which you can just go find good levels in and and use some other filters and mechanics there but i think that's kind of interesting that that they They push community really hard. And I I think they said it in in the conference some, I'm not sure if it was during the dev talk, but they push a lot on like the Instagram effect of their game. They want not quite a full social network platform, but close to it in just giving users a lot of details about levels and about other users and statistics on everything that's out there that makes their level shareable. And so if you're in a Kaizo community of super hard level makers, you can share your stuff with super hard, you know, and, and they'll be able to tell how super hard it is even. Mm -hmm. And, and, but if you want casual adventure levels or Metroidvania levels or puzzle levels or troll levels, all that stuff is really easy to identify. And it generates that community that I think is, is really important to a game of this kind of style and caliber.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Like they have, they also have some really cool tools. You know, talking about the statistic stuff that you were mentioning, <clears throat> like there's really cool t- tools where it tells you like how many, um, like how many how many users have played your level and how many hours of gameplay your level has generated effectively by other people playing it, and just a lot of cool stuff from the cre- level creator side that kind of gives you some unique insight into how well your, your stuff is being received by the community, I guess you could say. Well,
0: and that was a lot of the incentive that I had to, to make levels was I, I wanted and did for a while achieve the top creator spot. Mm -hmm. And and that was just by making sure that I was, you know, I was checking my statistics. What are the statistics that matter? How can I move up? How can I rank up? How am I going to get ahead of other people? you know, maybe I need to push better quality levels and advertise in the discord. Some maybe make a Reddit post about how I made it. And like, but all of those things are just generating more community. And also generate, like, I moved myself up in the community, I'm, I'm actually a paragon, which is kind of one of their, I guess, quote, unquote, elite members or just people that really do a lot for the community in the discord. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of that came from just I wanted to be top creator, I got that by making good levels, asking people what they liked, reviewing them, playing their levels and giving them feedback, Like streaming on Twitch, all of these things, and, and eventually found, you know, by watching my statistics, key in on what statistics I wanted to focus on, make levels that, that are going to generate those stats or try to, and then go out and push them. And it, it was super fun. It was a great thing to chase is, is those numbers,
1: yeah, yeah. The art style of the game is is wonderful too. It's super cute and very well done, and like very colorful. Um, a, a lot of like one thing I commented on to you when we were there actually was just the amount of ambient animations that they have constantly going on. Like nothing is ever just standing still. Like everything's always got like a little wiggle to it or a little dance to it or whatever it may be. That um, just I don't know. It it despite them being an indie developer, you know, with three or I guess maybe now you said five or six guys, whatever, very small team making these games. It looks like something that would come from a AAA studio. I mean, it looks to me, it looks as good as Rayman or or something like
0: that. Yeah, I agree, Uh, And, and I think a lot of that comes from they focused especially within the last couple of years they realized and and they talk about a lot of this on their podcast they mentioned some of it in the convention and and afterwards in the dinner too is just their focus on devops and how they learned a lot of hard lessons on you know at first they tried to grow too big too quick and Mm -hmm. then they had to scale things back and realize that they just didn't have they had the experience making games but they didn't have the experience of being a successful business like Mm -hmm. really successful they they had you know the the lower tiers of that kind of down, but they didn't have these bigger tiers and it's constantly a learning experience. So they really focused in on their DevOps and their, their pipelines and their cycles and stuff. And, and they talk very openly about that, especially, you know, one of the things at the convention, at the dinner that you don't even get on the podcast is some really, you know, as close to personal as you can get to the information without breaking NDAs is just, how some of these things work, what companies they like to work with and like, and what matters when brokering a deal. And that's all really candid information that, and like you said, they didn't, it didn't feel like CEOs in a, in a conference room. It felt like buds, you know, like my, you and me chatting or buddies on the sidewalk, taking a walk or something, or just hanging out at a bar with some cool people and them sharing their knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was,
1: I thought it was really interesting when they, you know, again, they, they were careful not to, which they should be, but they were careful not to really disclose. They didn't disclose, you know, their specific relationship with companies or their specific deals or anything like that. So they certainly didn't, didn't breach anything there, but they, they were able to speak to kind of how some of these deals are structured. Like I've always been kind of curious, like how does origin access where you pay a hundred dollars a year and you get Every origin game, which fine, that makes, or not every origin game, but every EA game, right, which is reasonable because it's an EA's platform. But then also a ton of other third party titles, you get access to all of those unlimited for $100 a year, which as the consumer is one of the best gaming deals out there, right? Uh, Ubisoft has a similar thing now where you can pay a subscription and get access to all their games, which if I didn't already own all 13 or whatever it is, just <laughs> out three titles, I would probably be more apt to do. Um, But yeah, like or like the humble monthly deals and and stuff. And again, they didn't get into how Crashlands or Levelhead participates in those necessarily, but just in general, kind of how those deals are structured and what that looks like and what they think some of the pitfalls of that could be going forward and how, you know, how is this going to continue to make money or be monetized going forward? Right. And what does that look like from a potential developer's perspective versus the publisher's perspective and those sorts of things? Um, Which was interesting, too, because it's it's not just games. You know, it also ties back into that's what's happening with TV and movies now. Right. Started out with Netflix and then Hulu came out and then HBO Go came out. And now we're getting ready to have Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. And I think CBS already has their own premium subscription. channel which is very bizarre to me, but
0: (laughs) I think Uh, that even, uh, well, I mean, history, like a lot of the mm -hmm. old cable channels have streaming setups that are generally a lot cheaper. um, But there were some stuff that we saw that was like, well, if you want history without ads, you have to subscribe for like history plus or whatever. And it's Mm -hmm. so everything it's going that way in, in so many directions. And I think that that's so interesting to see, because you can see some of this insight through like GDC talks and stuff, but Mm -hmm. not to the level especially not like a GDC talk even is at tops, maybe an hour and it's structured for an audience. And and this was like four hours after that's after the dev talk, after the podcast, after the hangouts, four more hours at a dinner table with a couple of drinks. And I mean, I got to give some shout outs to the chocolate pig. Uh, I had a, uh, a passion fruit beer that was amazing. Oh. Um, I really loved it. I know you, you had gotten a, a, a drink and, and, uh, I also had the, uh, what was it? They were like fried cornbread pancakes with pulled pork and sorghum molasses, which was mm-hmm. really kind of exotic. And I was like, I, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. And it was incredible.
1: Yeah. You actually didn't finish all of it. I couldn't. So I- <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was really good. I would agree to that. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was super cool. And, you know, in the conversation, like you said, it wasn't, the conversations weren't just them trying to like push their brand or something like we sat for the first hour of the dinner and one of the other guys who was visiting from out of town, one of the, you know, conference goers was asking for restaurant recommendations. And so I think it was Adam, one of the developer brothers, uh, probably for 20 or 30 minutes, just suggested different restaurants and really gave like really interesting descriptions of these different restaurants and what they offer and why he likes them and, and what you know. should
0: get on the menu. And
1: yeah. And well, and then kind of took that into talking about how, you know, he's from like small town, Iowa. And he said that, you know, salt was almost too spicy for his family growing up. So he had very bland food. And then, and then once he got into college, he met his you know future wife and she had a lot more exotic taste in food. And so he started challenging himself to always order whatever he thought was the most bizarre thing on the menu. Uh, and and through, through doing that, really kind of developed this really expanded palate. Um, and, and yeah, and just talked about how, like, it's not that every time he tries something that's, you know, really unique or really out there that he, that it's his favorite thing. But the, he often recognizes that it might be the only time in his entire life that he has that thing. And so he really tries to kind of lock in on that. And I just I, I thought that was a really interesting uh, point as well, because it it ties into something else that has been on my mind a lot lately, which is just the whole like the journey is greater than the destination thing and, and like to try and be in the moment and to try and appreciate the little moments that life offers, which might just be a meal, which is only maybe an hour of time, 30 minutes of time, whatever it is. And it's not like it changes your life and it's not like, you know, everything is different after that, but just to try and appreciate those moment to moment experiences. Um, but again, he wasn't doing that to try and
0: like, he wasn't <laughs> evangelizing. Or anything. <laughs> right, He was Did, just sharing his insight. Was it on the last episode, the one that you listened to where Sam talks about uh, folding laundry, but and becoming Zen,
1: um, no, they referenced that at the dinner. okay, but, but go ahead and so there the
0: was question. it's like the episode prior then, um to the one that you listened to. So I hope you start going through the back catalog. They're amazing, but <laughs> um they, they he basically talked about how like Sam's trying to reframe those moment to moment type things, and he was talking about how like his wife always does laundry in a very precise and calculated and careful manner. And almost is is treating it like, like it's a being or a, a pet or something. And she's like almost petting it when she's folding laundry, and like thanking it and stuff. And and he was like, that's you know always thought, oh that's weird, whatever. I you know, and he he just decided that he was going to try it one day and just really focus all of his attention on doing it and not treat it like a job or a task that just he was waiting to be done with, but just do it and and immerse himself in the moment of doing laundry. And all of a sudden he was like, and it and it just clicked, everything clicked. And I felt this kind of Zen moment. I'm paraphrasing. And and he's just like, it was so comfortable to exist <laughs> in the moment of doing laundry. And it was relaxing. And instead of me, I want to listen to a podcast and be done with this as quick as I can. Like, I'm going to just sit in the moment and do the task because I'm always going to do this task. There's always more laundry to fold, And, mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm, you know, this same kind of thing with the food is like you you may only enjoy that moment then. Why be in a hurry to do the dishes when they're going to get same, done in the same amount of time and you could enjoy it instead? Like,
1: yeah, it ties into something I've talked a lot about on on my other podcast, The Walk Show, uh, which is the, the idea that like perception dictates reality. And it's it, it's that exact point where it's like. If you're going to wash the dishes, you're going to wash them one way or the other. So you can either be pissed off the entire time and be upset and constantly tell yourself that you hate it, but you're still doing the task, or you can try and find a way to reframe it in your mind. And it doesn't mean that you absolutely love it, right? but maybe try and and find some way to master it or find a way to be more efficient at it or whatever, or even just take something away.
0: Like I've, I've been trying really hard to, to exist kind of in the moment, like, a um, a lot of mindfulness type stuff and it's one of those things where you don't realize it but most of the time you are just ignoring your body and like it's not like i'm gonna do the dishes and become you know have some crazy epiphany or or reach some you know exotic moment or something but just taking a moment to feel like warm water feels cool and you know soap is squishy and the the this but maybe the sponge needs to be replaced and a new sponge is nice and like just feeling that moment and and it's something that you know especially sharing that with food is one of those things that's like yeah and enjoy the taste of something like Mm -hmm. especially if it's it's a lot more interesting to enjoy a really flavorful small meal than it is to just shovel the easiest meal prep like a like a mac and cheese dinner and just you know, eat it as quick as you can and move on like mm-hmm. it, it, even if it is a mac and cheese dinner, like taking your time and enjoying it is something that you can do. And why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, you know, easier said than done for all situations. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to challenge my palate to that level. <laughs> and sometimes I do want to get the dishes done so that I can go play video games. <laughs>
1: yeah. well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't mean just mean in, in the relation to food, but yeah, it could be anything, you know, sometimes it's, it's harder to to, to do that, but it's interesting because it's, it's, uh, so you'll have to bear with me. Don't, don't shut the podcast off. I am going to talk about sports ball for a second. <laughs> um, But but so there's a really famous NBA coach named Phil Jackson, who was the coach of the Chicago Bulls when they won all their titles, with Michael Jordan, in the 90s. And then he was the coach of the Lakers two different times when they won championships in the early 2000s with Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And then later in in the late like 2009, 2010, uh, the the Lakers won a couple more championships with Phil Jackson at the helm. And so he wrote a book called Eleven Rings, which is kind of a play on the five rings book or whatever right. it's like a samurai book because he has 11 championship rings and as a coach and it, it's interesting because you know especially uh you know maybe even more so if you don't watch basketball but like I played basketball as you know all the way through growing up and and I've, I've always really been kind of a fan um but when you think of like what makes a good coach it's like oh well they understand the strategy or they understand the fundamentals or they understand how to Put together and execute a game plan. And certainly all of that, you know, is a part of it. Um, so I don't mean to act like that's not any of it at all. But in the book, Phil Jackson, you know, the 11 rings book, what he does is he goes through each championship year, and kind of explains what that team was like, and then what kinds of challenges he had to overcome to get the team to come together. And the thing that he keeps coming back to is trying to get the team to be in the moment together. And so, like, one of the exercises he would do before they would practice, and I think sometimes before games as well, but he would, like, make all the players get together in the locker room and hold hands and shut the lights off and then make them breathe until their breaths were all in unison. So it's like one breath kind of thing. Yeah, Because he's trying to get them all to be connected and to be just in that moment. Yeah, like sync up. Right. And so that way when they get on the court, it's like, just be in the moment like don't worry about what the next play is going to be or what the last play was or what what's even going to happen in the next 5 seconds from where you are now just be in this moment and and really all, you know that's largely what he attributes the success of all of those teams to is getting them to to kind of buy into one another and believe in one another but then also really getting people to understand how to stay in the moment um it's also called the flow
0: state right you yeah know, i've heard of it a lot of people that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of golfers and a lot of artists, like writers and stuff, talk about it too. And mm-hmm. and I, I I've even you know as I dabble in a lot of different hobbies, I, I say my hobby is collecting hobbies, and and I I feel that sometimes where that you hit that state where it doesn't feel like you're the one doing the work, it just yeah. it just pours out. And and well, I so go ahead. Go ahead. Uh,
1: sorry, I, I was just going to say, um, a game that does that for me that you have not played, despite my constant badgering. <laughs> is uh, is Rocket League. Um, Rocket League is, you know, car soccer, basically, which sounds really dumb, because I don't really care about cars. And I don't care about soccer. But it is a really, really, really good game. And part of that reason is that it's five minute matches, so that it doesn't take forever to get through a match. And you experience like the entire range of human emotions in that five minute match. (laughs) And it when I play it, like, or, or like, um, uh, man, now I can't Geometry Wars 3. Oh, okay. Which yeah. are Geometry Wars games, but it's like a shoot 'em up, mm-hmm. you know, top down, shoot 'em up or whatever. But like those games will kind of trigger me to be in that kind of state as well. Yep. Because you almost have to, because it's so much about like moment to moment reactions that if you don't get into that kind of flow state, you just lose. Um, a really good level
0: head level does that to me too, because yes. the, you have to, sometimes a level that's not, super extremely hard and super trolly, but it just pushes you past your comfort zone where Mm -hmm. you have to, like, if I'm going to get past this section, I have to time my jumps. I have to be aware of the monster. I have to think about, you know, when I'm going to throw and pick up something and what power up I'm going to use or whatever. And and it gets you kind of on the edge of your seat and, like, zoned in. Like, you get in the zone. And that's... Having those conversations with other developers... I think is just really inspiring to, to hear that. Like, again, just not from a CEO perspective, they they technically are, you know, Mm -hmm. the owners of the company, but being able to hear them talk about, you know, food recommendations in one minute and web tech in another and how, you know, maintaining a flow state or getting into mindfulness can actually affect DevOps and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff kind of combined in, into conversation and then, and then switching over to, to pawpaws, which are a, a strange fruit of the central Midwest. <laughs> right. Right. And then even to like dealing with neighbors, like, right. Like they're just people too. And they don't know how do they want to confront their neighbors about a limb that's hanging over their tree, but also cause the neighbor's kind of weird and they don't know how to deal right. with it. <laughs> like, right.
1: But yeah, they just there's a there's kind of just a, um, I guess an accessibility to it that that I don't think is you know uh, like the example I used when you and I were talking and and it's a bad example because he doesn't even work there anymore but like if you were to go to BlizzCon and run into Mike Morhaim, like you're not going to get the kind of interaction that we did with these guys. Right. But I don't know that that's because Mike Morhaim is a jerk or because he's too stuck up to talk or too you know, it's just that there's literally millions of fans that all really want to talk to that guy right but to be sane you kind of have to be a little more distant well and a he can't more...
0: give four hours of time even 10 people at a time it's still millions of hours of time right right and so I, yeah
1: well i just i think that part of the part of it is just kind of catching them in this good window where again they're successful so it's not just talking to someone who hopes that they'll make it someday, which not that that's bad or that there's no value in that, but just, it's not, it's, they don't have the same amount of
0: experience.
1: Right. They don't have the same perspectives. Um, but yeah. And so then, you know, but it's also, they're not so big that there's again, you know, clamoring fans of millions, which they did say that they intentionally keep the shenanigan size small, uh, because they want it to be that kind of more intimate experience. Um, So, yeah, I was really I was really impressed by by the whole thing. I thought that it was uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of fun, you know, at the event. And then, like we talked about, you know, the dinner. I didn't you know, when when they said they were going to go to dinner afterward, they were like, we're going to go to this bar, we'll get some food and drinks, probably hang out for like an hour, maybe more, but, you know, just kind of play it by ear. And I think maybe they thought that they would want to leave sooner than than they did. Honestly,
0: we weren't going to be that we were going to be fans just asking them constant questions about Levelhead. And instead, all of the fans were also very down to earth and sharing stories about their lives and about their jobs and how they encountered from business to life. Like at their job, we encountered this web tech problem and we decided to use it you know this encryption or this server backup and and how they tackled a similar problem that the butterscotch team had and discussing what the different variations of that like resulted in mm-hmm. all the way to other people like your experiences with pawpaws and and us being in the midwest to other people's experiences with exotic food or being in the moment and, and flow states and things like that and and there were so many topics and everybody got a chance to say their piece, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was just really cool that everybody was considerate of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like I tried to make sure that I, which of course m- both of us are, are kind of guilty of this as, you know, I don't know if it's a Midwest thing, but we just tend to interrupt people because that's how you talk. That's how you get a word in sometimes is, you know, and I'm trying to get better at it, but I, I tried to make sure as much as I could that it, I gave that consideration to other people that if they started to say something that I just, you know, back up, let them talk. I've been talking for a minute, you know? Like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely a good vibe. Um, I was, I, I, I was a little um, kind of out of place feeling when we got to the conference, just because I'm not the, the fan fan. That, that like you or most of the other conference goers are of butterscotch shenanigans and that's not because there's anything I dislike about it I just haven't spent that much time with the games um and so it was like I'm not sure what I'm gonna say to these people because I don't like anyone that's there is a pretty hardcore fan and I'm just not on the level that they are regardless of how much I you know cool I think it is or whatever and uh and yeah it wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable at all everyone again very very welcome and warming and Talked to plenty of different people at the conference. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed the time. And, and like I said, the, 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 the three dudes, the three brothers, um, really interesting perspectives. And as much as I hope that people spend whatever podcast time they have listening to Pick Up Your Sticks, I would say that their podcast is is you know maybe a good second on the list, (laughs) Um, (laughs) or maybe
0: third. Let's get the walk show. You know, yeah, yeah. I've got the walk show too. So yeah,
1: (laughs) you listen to me twice, then you can go listen to (laughs)
0: them. I I do want to say like where you think that like everyone was a super fan. I mean, we did also have a conversation with somebody who um, was just there because he also helps run another local um, game jam conference where they do game jams in st louis and so he knew the butterscotch team through that um and so he was there just as kind of like a st louis supporter of another local that likes to support the team and and not everybody was like a super huge super fan um but i think that that's kind of i mean i even had that perspective coming in it's like i've talked to most of these people on discord about the games already like what am i going to talk with them about Mm-hmm. turns out normal human stuff <laughs> <laughs> right 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 yeah
1: um but yeah i i definitely would say you know um if there's a, a a small indie developer that you like and especially if you live in a major metropolitan area where that kind of you know we live in springfield missouri so there's a lot less that doesn't exist here in that way right but but if you live in a larger city or something they're probably there's a good chance at least that there's an indie dev somewhere around and if they put on a conference like that I highly recommend going I mean the cost wasn't I mean it was like I think 30 bucks or less for a ticket yeah. so it wasn't super pricey um, and yeah they just they it it was a really interesting time and like I said a really interesting perspective and I think that you would get that from another you know developer of that size again these three guys are are unique individuals that happen to be pretty interesting people too so it might not be identical um but but certainly worth worth checking out even if you're like i was where you're not you know necessarily the, the know everything about their titles and like they did a trivia raffle at the end i have no idea what
0: any I was hard pressed answers. for some of the trivia answers. I knew a couple of them, but I knew that I didn't know them quicker than the people behind me. I could <laughs> feel hands going up, and I was like, "Well, no, not that. I'm already done. Like, I'm not going to." Right. Go. <laughs> right. But they had some. They had some good merch and stuff there too. I I picked up a, a couple of things, and and you know, and just getting to I don't know that that smaller. Like I said, it's just that smaller feel was so it may eventually be something if Levelhead blows up super huge or their next game blows up super huge that we don't get that same feeling again. And it could be just this one that was that way. This could
1: be our exotic meal. Right.
0: It could be our exotic meal, but it was, it was a good one. And it's interesting to try to soak up those moments and, and try to, to get the most out of it and meet, you know, I didn't meet everybody that was there. Even people whose names I do recognize in the discord. I, I didn't, some of them I had a couple of minutes of conversation. Some of them I had more. And that was just kind of there, – there was enough people there that I don't think I could have dedicated enough time to all of them, which I, I know mm-hmm. probably how the devs feel too. And, and I know that they talked last year about them trying really hard to make sure they they spend at least a couple minutes with each person. And I think that that's another reason why they switched to the the bingo card this year is to kind of put the onus on the people visiting. If you mm-hmm. want those three minutes with a dev, go find them, we'll be available. Um, mm-hmm. But it keeps them from having to make sure that they're giving everybody the right, you know, attention. And But at the same time, being open to that and being available to chat about Borderlands or Levelhead or Crashlands or their their unreleased game, um, which you know they're scrapping and and hopefully using the pieces of to potentially make their next game with. And and that's kind of up in the air, but it no game. But it was uh, No go ahead. Go ahead. it's just (laughs) just interesting to see that. The nuts and bolts behind the curtain kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well that's what I was going to say is that's something that that we're out of order now because we should have talked about this earlier. (laughs) But but yeah during the, the the dev talk and then after their, their podcast, they, so they had this game that they called scuffle buddies that they worked on for, what did they say? Like a year, About I think. A year. Or something. And they had a lot of really interesting ideas, but that actually became the downfall was that they had too many interesting ideas. And so it was just a game with way too many systems. It's like an open world exploration game where you do like almost like a quasi card collection system it's not actually cards but kind of like pocket mon you know pokemon kind of thing um and then so then when you fight you fight in a pokemon kind of i mean it's got its a own little tower to
0: defense a little yeah a little card battling a little pokemon capture the flag capture the flag <laughs> and and on top of like you said a full open world with crafting. quests and characters crafting and kind of survival <laughs> elements where you can collect things from uh, all the items in the real the world generate resources and mm-hmm. and these adventure mechanics of, of everything is collectible and everything can be used on everything mm-hmm. and there's just a lot to it but like you said that was kind of the downfall is that they they realized they got to a point where they realized if they wanted to do everything that they wanted to do To do it right, they would need two to three years at least more dev time.
1: Yeah, and then, and still who knows, because there's not really a coherent vision for what it's supposed to be in the end. Well, and
0: there's no guarantee that it's, you know, do the question kind of comes up as like, do you spend all the rest of your time and effort and money on and hedge your bet that this is going to work, or do you spend a smaller amount on something that has maybe a better chance? And if that doesn't if that doesn't work, you're not totally hosed, you know.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was uh, like that. So that was really cool. And then you know, it, it's a game that's unreleased, and they they actually had never planned to show it to anyone, and then decided to bring it out for the conference and and had a playable version of it available on a few PCs there, so you could actually sit down and play it and and check it out. But then they talked about how they were they their plan, like you were saying, is to leverage that into supposedly like a crash lands is what they're they're looking at uh not anytime in the near future because levelhead is still in early access right. and plans to launch in early first quarter of next year of you know 2020 um but following that their next kind of ideas is, is probably going to be Crashlands Two, and so they want to they're going to be able to take a lot of the stuff that they worked on for scuffle buddies and kind of transpose it over to cra- the Crashlands idea, right kind of give
0: the- them a a maybe not a full year jumpstart, but probably a good eight months or so worth of code and systems. If if their DevOps, yeah. you know, pipelines have been structured in the way that they talk about and hope that they are, they can probably forklift a ton of that, those systems and mechanics over and get a giant leap towards producing a, a much bigger, you know, and better crash lands too, which would be amazing. And, and again, they said, it's not a guarantee um, of everything depends on, you know, how well Levelhead does is how well Crashlands 2 is going to be, you know? Yeah, well, and
1: how long it takes to, to get into it. Right. Because if Levelhead comes out and kills it, which it should, and honestly should be now, because again, it's already out in early access, and it's not like, it doesn't feel like a beta or something. Right.
0: No, it's one of those, in my opinion, it's one of the few early access games that feels like it's in full release now. Like, mm-hmm. the early access, like the first maybe couple of weeks you might be able to argue that it -hmm. could use more content. It still was fully featured and relatively bug-free and Mm. very well-polished on early access release, but now they've been releasing huge patch updates uh, weekly or biweekly every like for the, for the last few months and, and it's a lot of content has been added to the game. And now it just does feel like it's getting into that spoiled territory. And I'm really interested to see, like I'm, I'm keeping up with it. And by the time it hits full launch, it's going to be definitely more game than they're charging for. <laughs> yeah. I, um,
1: I don't know. I think that uh, it's just kind of like how their whole, you know, their entire, the, the entire way that they run their company was just kind of like the conference and, and you know, the, and the dinner afterwards, was kind of an extension of the way that they run their company and the way that they do their business because they, they're, they're very actively engaged. They do the podcast on a regular basis where they talk about the game, you know, with the level head at this point, the industry, and then also just stories from their life. So give you a little window into kind of what they're thinking about or what they're reading. I know they do a book suggestions and that kind of thing. Um, and then they they are active in their Discord, and they provide c- consistent updates, like you said, weekly, biweekly basis. So it, it's just this constant loop of them being accessible, being engaged with their community, really trying to understand what their community wants and get that feedback. And the conference and, and the dinner were, like, like I said, just kind of extensions of those principles that are already there. Right. So
0: it wasn't it, – it's definitely – and I think that that's that way with a lot of indie devs. You just don't get to see it. Is that a lot of indie devs as people are reflections of their DevOps, their games, their pipelines. And some of them are really great at communicating. And some of them are just really good at making code and making good games. And some of them are just really good graphics artists. And I think that it's kind of lucky that you have those three people all together. And, and able to see all three of those perspectives, and all three of them to be really good, just good people, good social, you know, mm-hmm. and and having that experience and, and being able to participate in it. And I think that you could probably, like, I, I bet if you sat down at a bar for drinks with any, you know, indie dev team of, you know, under 20, 30 people, grab a couple of people off any of those teams, I could probably have a good night with any of them,
1: you know. Yeah i do think that there is something you know and not that not that you know younger people don't have anything interesting to say or something but the fact that they are all in their 30s right they're not 20 year old kids trying to code games or whatever i think that also lends itself to them having more thoughtful uh perspectives now i might just say that because i'm in my mid-30s i was gonna say say, we might just more than
0: 20 year olds (laughs) we might just relate to them I'm sure if yeah. I was 20 I would probably relate to a 20 year old game dev just fine. Yeah. And yeah. but being able to talk about um groaning when you get up from a seat, being kind <laughs> of like that. <laughs> they talk about that on the podcast and and being one yeah. of those, you know, uh, uh, vestiges of 30s and what's the the most old person thing that you do now, you know, is is something that I can relate to and
1: <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Agreed
0: so um i don't know walker do you have uh do you have any other comments anything else that you want to want to go over
1: no i think that uh like i said i think it was a really great experience and i highly recommend that you know certainly anyone that's available to to get to st louis or if you're in st louis you should definitely look up shenanicon next year when it comes back around i assume it'll be in september again um but even if it's not going to be that you know be open to if you see an, an indie dev in your area or somewhere that you can get to uh you know, for that's not cost prohibitive or something, then give it a try. And, uh, and I think you, you'd probably be pleasantly surprised at, at what that experience could be
0: for sure. And also just, you know, to kind of shout out, uh, butterscotch shenanigans discord is, is, like you said, really active. That's discord.gg slash bscotch. Um, and their website is bscotch.net their podcast is podcast.bscotch.net or look for uh coffee with butterscotch on any, any podcasting app, like you said, after after the walk show and and pick up your sticks, you know, if you have some mm-hmm. time left over um, right. for a third for a right, third. Yeah. And and, <laughs> you know, you can you can find me on there. And uh, in the, the butterscotch discord, they also do a game jam every year called Shenana Jam, where they do a three to four day a global game jam, uh, usually through itch and all that stuff can be found through their webpage or through the podcast and or through the discord so yeah if you're interested in any of those things or if you want to meet a game dev um you know check out the check out the gdc talk and and there's also a a, a full-length feature-length movie on Crashlands that i believe is available through uh steam uh, but yeah check those things out and if you want to uh get a hold of us and, and interact with us and chat with us. Uh, you can always find us on Twitter at p u y s pod, all one word. That's uh, the abbreviated pick up your sticks pod. And uh, if you'd like this episode, we'd super appreciate it. If you rated it, start it, thumbs up or whatever, review us wherever you're listening to it. Um, those things mean a lot and really do help us out and, uh, you know, share with your friends and family and, and, you like it then uh you know let us know so um i we appreciate you guys uh coming out and checking us out and don't forget to pick up your sticks